Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Men About, About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right. So we're excited tonight as yet another guest that we have been meaning to have on for a while. And we finally found a time that... But fit both of our schedules. So we have Jessica Sennett from Cheese Grotto in the house. Hi, Welcome Jessica. to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me here. I love it. So I think we, I first met you um, when our friends Kevin and Basil, who own Finback Brewing Company, they provided beer for one of your events that was in Bedsty, I think. Yeah, Bushwick. Total, Bushwick. Bushwick. I'm yeah, totally forgetting the name of that. Yeah, like right on the edge, though, kind of of those two neighborhoods. Yeah. And you served your cheeses, some of your cheeses, and I think some other cheeses, actually, from other cheesemakers. Mm-hmm. And it was a super cool event because we got to taste all this really interesting cheese that most of it, a lot of it wasn't even commercially available anyway. We met a lot of interesting people. Tom Wilk. Wilk yeah, from you. Wilk's Honey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was one of the first times, and I've been on your mailing list ever since. And then earlier this year... You did a cheese and cocktail event at Industry City Distillery, mm-hmm. which is partially owned by Dave, our friend Dave. Dave. Yes, who we've oh, had great. on the show before, and we, we run into him all the time <laughs> at beer events, actually. Um, but that was a super event, another event where it was, it was nice and casual because you basically kind of pace, like you would bring the cheese plate out. I don't know. I can't remember how many courses there are. I have to look back at that menu. That, but. That's also a, speci- a and special they were date because, you know, that's the first day you and I became food models. We're on the <laughs> Cheese Grotto uh, website. Oh, yeah. now, front you page. guys look good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but that was great. We paired them with different cocktails from Industry City. So that was super exciting. So what is Cheese Grotto? Let's start there. Yes. So uh, Cheese Grotto, I would say it is two things. Um, It is an experience and it is also a product. Um, And it's really important for me to be able to explore both of those things, especially because naturally made cheese and also fermented cheese um, that's produced naturally is still a little bit, you know, not as well known as it could be. And especially you know, in New York and then on the larger spectrum of the United States. So um, what I do is I actually provide a lot of education and events that are surrounding cheeses. Um, A lot of them right now I've been producing myself, which are the fresh batch varietals that are totally fine to be produced in commercial kitchen spaces. And then an event such as what you're talking about, um, the Speak Cheesy, which we did. Um, I uh, loved, I loved that it. event. <laughs> um, but what it was was actually bringing together a bunch of producers and providing some kind of platform for people to taste each other's wares and um, explore what those pairings could be with other small batch producers, which has been a model that has been around definitely for probably you know five years. I feel like it really started to take off Um 
in San Francisco, that's where I'm from, there were some underground farmers markets and things like that. Um, and it just really helps incubate. I think the main reason people go into cheese craft or any other type of small batch production is because they have this connection to this experience um, and how the tasting and all of those uh, immersive nourishing qualities of food and drink um, are then tied back into this larger narrative that we're a part of. And um, so I really want to keep that going. And then on the second half of things, I'm developing products, um, uh, cheese storage products, really the inspiration behind Cheese Grotto, which is the name of the website and the company. And those are actually specified to better store your naturally produced styles that you purchase or you produce yourself for the home and um, eventually commercial use. So. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get started on this? You mentioned you're originally from San Francisco. So yeah. how did you get interested in, in cheese making and kind of this small culture around, you know, naturally fresh, locally made or house made cheese? Yes. So um, I started off in San Francisco. It's been about eight years now um, at Cowgirl Creamery. Um, at the retail store, actually, in the Ferry Building. And I was a cheesemonger there for uh, about eight months. And I was doing it, actually, as an interim, taking some time off of college and was just like, I want to do something hands-on. And really discovered that cheese was really this tactile world that was also uh, very transporting when you start to get into tasting. I mean, you know, there's one blue cheese that I would taste there that essentially would just transport me to some kind of rural area and every single um, time we taste another wheel that would come in there'd be a slight nuance of something different so we were like creating the story around this mm-hmm. wheel of cheese so um, so I got really excited about it and decided that of course I wasn't going to go back to school and I was going to go to France instead um, because everybody was like yeah of course you're going to do that instead if you have the opportunity so um, so I went to France to do some cheese making apprenticeships and wasn't as it wasn't a super long trip it was about three months but got to work um with raw uh goat milk at a chevalier in alsace in the uh more in the northern corner there northeastern corner and yeah i was there and got to learn about kind of everything from the beginning of with the animals to working in the actual cheese making room and Um, And kind of after that, went to Washington State, where I helped manage a French-American cheesemaking operation. So I got to take some of those French understandings that I'd gotten from my travels there and then apply them to uh, Washington. So, And, um, you know, I think I'm obviously originally from the city, so I have an inclination to want to be around people um, and a lot of people. <laughs> and so, hey, now I'm here in New York. Um, but I, I would say that it's it's nice to be able to to share this kind of knowledge um, and be able to translate what you've learned on, in a very hands on way to a larger. Uh, larger crowds of people and I've definitely felt that every time I've returned to the city people just constantly asking me okay like tell me more about what what was that trip like what what did you learn I like have been dying to make cheese at home um you know or I tried once and it didn't really work out well and so yeah because of that energy I've just kept following this over the years and it's starting to take a life of its own which is cool so we're not gonna be any different 
What did you learn? How to make cheese? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah, for what the styles of cheese? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Also styles, and now now it applies to to the cheese grotto product as well. So you, I thought that was particularly. You said you could use them based on the style of cheese making that you're that you're using. So the condition in which you keep cheese is important. Yes, it definitely is. Um, so right now, what I focus on is more fresh varietals when I do my events because that's what's um, totally uh, said a okay by the health department, all those things uh, in a commercial kitchen. When you get more into fermented um, qualities of cheese, you definitely are either doing it at a home scale or you're doing it in a cheese-making facility because there's different um, uh, standards. But for the fresh varietals that I've been working on over the past few years, um, definitely uh, lemon set mozzarella, um, mascarpone, ricotta, ricotta salata, burrata, um, and all of these recipes are a little bit more accessible to what you could actually produce as, you know, not being a cheese master at your home, but just kind of integral to a culinary lifestyle that you would have. Um, but then there are definitely amazing other varieties. Um, what I love making and what I made a lot on the farms, a lot of bloomy rind styles, which take about two weeks to produce, um, two weeks to a month, depending on, you know, what ripeness you'd like the cheese to be. Um, and that requires some um, inoculation with cultures and that kind of fermentation. Um, and that's what was cool was I was able to see the difference between working at a raw milk production, which was something where basically raw milk is, you know, the milk that hasn't been heat treated. And then looking at pasteurized, which has been heat treated milk. Um, and the differences within those productions. So it's raw milk is not as accessible here. So I'm working with pasteurized um, and then using inoculants for doing fermented styles at my house. Um, so with the cheese grotto, the actual storage unit, um, there are particular conditions that are more conducive for aging. And there is a distinction between aging and storing. Um, so with aging, you're going to have to have a slightly warmer temperature so that the bacteria that you have inoculated the cheese with um, starts to actually cultivate and create and develop more flavors, um, as well as the enzyme, which is predominantly um, rennet, but the cultures in the cheese body itself also release certain types of enzymes that help with that breakdown. Um, and so when you have a temperature that's slightly warmer than the refrigerator, then you basically are a allowing the cheese to ripen over time and to age over time. Um, other things that are really important are humidity. So uh, you need a pretty high humidity level to keep the right moisture level so the cheese doesn't get stunted in its ripening growth. Um, so, you know, if it's just sitting in a refrigerator, it's going to start to dry out. So that's another component of what we're working on for the product line. And then um, airflow and air exchange um, mm -hmm. is also important because the cheese is breathing. It's, it's a breathing thing. It's a... It's, like a, li it's a living yeah. Product. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's basically, um, you know, if you see if you wrap uh, cheese in saran wrap, you'll see that it starts to get a little suffocated. Maybe it'll start to turn pink. If it's a soft cheese, it'll just turn into like this big ball of mush all of a sudden. So uh, the grotto is designed to actually help uh, regulate that so that the cheese stays as fresh as possible for as long as possible. So it wants oxygen. It does want some, it wants oxygen. Uh, it needs, 
some circulation and that's how caves work in general you have to have um, that kind of airflow system set up so that there can be some fresh air supply um, so they don't get completely consumed by their own byproduct which is this ammonia and carbon dioxide so and the cheese grater you do have plans for home for home versions correct yeah so we have a non-electric and an electric that we're developing um, which are going to be really cool because you actually can purchase one and then insert an electric component later so that you can have those controls um, that come with the electric which are the temperature and a humidity controller um, which behave off of a sensor. But the the non-electric is a nice um, option if you're one of those more rustic foodie-style people out there <laughs> who just like to have things like, you know what, I'll just leave it at room temperature. My apartment doesn't get up to 90 degrees when the heat is on kind of thing. Or, um, at, or you can also store it in the fridge, and it works exceptionally well. So uh, for the storage component, you do want it to be on the cooler side, but the nice thing is to be able to control that. So, um, you know, the refrigerator actually can function pretty well if you are storing your cheese correctly in the refrigerator. Um, but I think most of the time people don't know exactly how to, and it's hard to maintain those conditions. It's like, of course, you're going to forget about it sometimes. And so it's nice to have something that will be the shrine of cheese for all (laughs) (laughs) what are some tips actually so i know because actually i've you know they sell cheese paper for for people to store cheese and what are some tips first of all should you always avoid saran wrap um yeah i think anybody in the food world (laughs) just say that's probably not a good idea i mean if you are if we're in dire straits um what i a lot of times people do at cheese shops is they'll wrap the cheese itself with wax first so it's not directly on the plastic and then wrap plastic around that um but the cheese paper is great too there there are papers that are designed um to you know help provide that conducive environment um for storage Uh, the main thing is just wrapping it completely and having it be secured so that you know there's no extra air that can come into the actual cheese itself they're actually on um the culture cheese website they did do a little how-to recently about how to do the the folding of the actual cheese paper so that you can just make sure that everything is squared away and you don't lose anything so and do you store fresh cheeses the same way that you would like so if you had a fresh chavra right would you store that the same way that you would maybe a blooming rind or a cheddar yeah, it's a, a good question. There's certain styles like the fresh chev or the fresh goat cheese. Um, if it's in a log form, I definitely have been storing that in the grotto. Um, if it's coming already and it's you know a, a little container that it's in, that's totally fine. I would say the the main things that are to- that are very different are that um, there's certain cheeses like feta or mozzarella which need some kind of brine or water that they're placed in um just so the texture doesn't alter too much and the the brine level is important as well because it can help if there's a little bit of salt in there it can help um, extend the life of the cheese so that would be the one situation where you could put it in the grotto but you would want to put it in a, a little dish that had water in it so that it was submerged so awesome. we're going to take a brief break we'll be right back with more cheese grotto with jessica Sennett. for men about it
Welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're here in the studio with Jessica Sennett of the Cheese Grotto. And we're talking cheese. What is fresh cheese? How do you make fresh cheese at home? Well, yeah, so um, there are definitely a few different recipes that you can try. Um, a great intro, which I like to make kind of when I'm making a lot of different things at home, um, is I will get you know a gallon of milk um, from the store. You want to get something that is not ultra-pasteurized, ideally. Milk quality is a big deal. Um, you don't want to have it be something that is, um, you know, most likely you're going to get the best flavor from something that's not pooled from a thousand different dairies. So I usually go with uh, locally sourced milk, um, you know, some of the, the higher quality ones that are around here. And then I'll get a quart of buttermilk to go with that. So I'll get one gallon of milk, a quart of buttermilk, um, and then I'll get a... Uh, pint of cream of heavy cream and this is just like something that you can just do whenever when you're making pasta or however you'd like to do it so yeah when you bring it home uh, essentially all you do with that is that you actually pour the the gallon of milk into a pot you pour the buttermilk into a pot um you want to same pot yeah and you want to make sure that everything is nice and clean it's always an important thing to be very clean um and then the interesting thing about the buttermilk is that buttermilk is actually uh, a vehicle for thousands of different types of bacteria. It's been inoculated for the purpose of being a leavening agent that's an alternative to some of the other leavening agents um, that are out there. And that's why it was initially produced, which is different than the buttermilk that you're going to get as a byproduct from making butter. Um, it doesn't have the same type of cultures. But the nice thing about buttermilk is it's an amazing base for a lot of different styles of cheese. And when you heat it, you're activating this bacteria that's in the buttermilk so that it starts to acidify the milk completely. So what are you heating it to? Um, You heat it to 180. So this one is pretty high. Um, And so the, the nice thing about adding the cream as well to the pot is that you get a little bit more yield. And of course, then you get a little bit more of a luscious fatty flavor to it. Um, the higher the butterfat content is of milk in general, the more yields you're going to get for the, the smaller amount of milk. So a lot of times like sheep milk and water buffalo are these smaller y- yields. So, of course, bigger productions of, you know, uh, cow milk are, and bigger milk productions aren't really going to go towards sheep because they're not going to get as much as they need to make a great profit. It's too expensive. But for cheese making, those are amazing. So... You can kind of play around with cow milk by adding some more fat to that to to make up for it. Um, So you let it heat to 180 degrees. And this is a very visual cheese because you'll just see that separation start to happen. You'll have the whey, um, which is the water content with uh, whey proteins and whey minerals. And then you have the curd, which is the fats and the proteins that create this matrix. Um, And that's going to trap all of the cream in there. And it creates a very luscious texture. You let that sit in this way, which has become a more of a clear, um, off off yellowish tint to it. Um, and you'll see it at the top. 
Yeah, it all floats to the top. Okay. So basically what I'll do is, yeah, when I see that start to happen, it's actually my indicator. I don't even use a thermometer most of the time for this mm-hmm. recipe. So that's why it's great while you're making other things in the kitchen to make it. And so I'll turn it off, take it off the burner, and let it sit there for 30 minutes so that all of the curd can start to just collect and form together. Sometimes if you do things a little bit too prematurely with curd formation cheese, you can get some more breakage and lose some of the yield that you might possibly have. What happens if you if you heat it too much? Well, if you heat it too much, it'll just start to constrict more and more because the heat is creating this acidification, which is then creating this uh, coagulation and this protein binding. So the more you heat it, the more constricted it's going to get. And sometimes it gets a little chewy and it's just mm. not as pleasant. Um so, so yeah, basically, and sometimes it can burn, so you just have to, you know, be careful of that for in terms of that translating to the flavor of the actual curd itself. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, you strain it off into cheesecloth, and it's about 15 to 30 minutes of draining before you salt it and eat it. So it's just one of those very that is gratifying. fresh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gratifying, and, yeah, it, there's just nothing like it. That's why I, people should do it more, but... Definitely. And I think it's great. I think that type of fresh cheese unfermented is good for people that aren't, especially like if you're a home brewer or a home cider maker or you're other, other, you know, fermenting other things, Mm -hmm. when you want to kind of get into, you know, just add something else. Yeah. With that. Into your repertoire. So definitely. And I think it's a good gateway too, if you're interested in fermenting cheese, that'll kind of, I I imagine it can help you kind of work, learn to work with the milk and, Mm -hmm. you know, just learning and being able to see visually, like the way separating is is good. Yeah, so, and it's all and it's delicious. It all is focused on this rate of fermentation. So you have certain cheeses that, of course, with the the buttermilk ricotta recipe that I'm talking about, it's going to happen pretty quickly because you're blasting the heat, and so you're going to get a pretty delicate curd texture that you wouldn't be able to make. You can make ricotta salata with it, but you couldn't, you know, make an aged cheese with that. Um, and then you have something simple and fermented that's been sitting at room temperature for, you know, 24 hours, like a fresh goat cheese, which I know at the Brooklyn Kitchen, they sell these packets of chev that are essentially all these bacteria that you would need to make that and a little bit of rennet. And all you have to do is heat the milk to about room temperature, add that in, stir, and then put a pot, uh, lid on top of the pot, let it sit somewhere undisturbed for 24 hours and then that separation will occur then too it looks more like yogurt because it's had this time to create this more of this big mass it doesn't all rise to the top as it would with a fast heating cheese like the ricotta so and then do you strain that as well yeah you would strain that as well um and then you have a very spreadable creamy Ooh, style so you also you teach as well Yes, yeah. So where are you currently teaching? Um, I teach at the Natural Gourmet Institute uh, quarterly, and I used to teach... here in New York City. Yeah, it's in Manhattan. Um, They're great. They do all naturally uh, sourced classes. So it's the the milk is really high quality. There's no artificial ingredients for anything. Um, And we focus on that class, Italian cheeses. So it's um, mozzarella, burrata, and... The traditional ricotta, so really getting into, okay, how are the, the origins of this cheese and how would you produce it if you were producing cheese in Italy, for example. Um, so that's been fun. I do that quarterly as a recreational class, and then I also um, am offering my own private cheese-making workshops, which 
Um, this is this is a, a new venture for this holiday season, but I've done it in the past um, a few times. And what it is is I basically come to your house and we can coordinate this in advance. There's a few offerings on the website right now, and um, in terms of Italian cheese making and French cheese making, you gather a group of people. Uh, about five people is great, and we'll make cheese together. I'll bring the recipes. I'll bring the ingredients. We'll drink wine hang out, share cheese stories, and learn how to do it and how to troubleshoot together. And um, it's great to do it in your own home because then you get to actually get a sense of what it actually takes to do this as part of a ritual, not just in a commercial kitchen. So, Yeah, awesome. And so people are – so that would make a great – holidays are coming up. So that would make a great holiday gift. Yeah. If you're um, in New York City. It's it's an alternative gift. It's a gift of an experience. So what I've been telling people is if you have your family here or your parents love cheese or, you know, your sister and your brother and or you have a group of friends that you want to do it with, um, you can just this is a great offering to give people so that they get this experience that they're not going to forget because it's it's very, uh, yeah, it's a very like hands on intimate thing. Um and you won't forget the skills that you learn. So, yep. very cool. Well, we are all, most of us live in small apartments anyway. We don't need any more stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Experiences are definitely a, a, <laughs> they're they're a the great best. Thing. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, what else? What other events do you have that are in the works for either the end of December or early 2016? Yes. So, definitely talking to Industry City Distillery right now about doing another cocktail and cheese event. That was a lot of fun. What we did. It was a ton of fun and delicious as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm so (laughs) glad you guys were able to come out. Um, So, yeah, we've been talking about doing something for the maybe, hopefully, Valentine's Day because I feel like cheese and Valentine's Day just, like, go together so amazingly. Mm -hmm. Um, But nonetheless, we'll do more of a winter menu for that. I've been working on these things called cheese caramels (laughs) recently, which have been a lot of fun. Um, It's basically uh, folding in melted cheese cream and butter into the caramelizing sugar so that you get this like baked cheese and then also caramel burnt caramelized flavor that comes out and they went over really well i was tasting them out at the edible escape um last week so so yeah i've been working on those and we're probably going to feature those there and then also working on some other pop-up dinner um that i'm going to work with this pop-up dinner company where we're going to do this theme called wild that hasn't been released yet on the website but essentially it'll be, be exploring this theme of wild and then cheeses will be featured in different dishes um, for that so awesome so like wild foraging like wild yeah game, wild foraging yes of, some of that all wild all, wild. all kinds it's, of wild, it stuff. wild. <laughs> yeah it gets crazy conceptual with them they they definitely that go sounds all out amazing. So, yeah we'll definitely have to keep our eyes out for that too. yeah I'll, I'll put it on the website when it's uh up but yeah so where what are some resources if people want to start making some some of these fresh cheeses at home what are some resources that you would recommend Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, if in New York City, you can take a class. But if they're in other parts of the country or the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, cheesemaking.com, I always talk about them. They're, they just have a really well-structured um, packages for starting up. And they definitely invite people to go a little bit more complex in what they're producing, too. Um, they have packages for making cheddar or making, you know, mozzarella. And it's at a scale that makes sense. 
Um, also, Artisan Geek is another company. Oh. I don't know if you guys know about them. Wait, is he, he's based in New York City, right? Yeah. I met him at that, that first event that I met you at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he right. brought some yeah, of his did, cheeses yeah. there. Yeah. And yeah, he's really great. And he's really passionate about sourcing different types of cultures and different types of forms. To, so it's really catering more to the artistic and person who's really getting into um, trying to create their own recipes. So... He's got some really great alternative stuff that's based off of tradition, um, which I really like. Like, I've been wanting to make a, a fromage frais at my house, which is this cheese that you cannot find in the States because it is so fresh that it wouldn't make sense to put it on a shelf. But it's made all over France, just, you know, you, at the local farmer uh, stand, essentially. And it's this it's just like this delicate, silky curd that just melts in your mouth. So he's got a kit for that. Oh, and cool. That's the kind of specialization that um, is starting to emerge right now. So I recommend looking at it. And his is stuff he catering too. to home cheesemakers or both? Both, both. yeah. Both. Commercial he works. and home. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes. And Dairy Connection is another one. That's a Wisconsin based company, but they do both uh, like small batch for at the home and then also commercial. So, Based on your time in France and your time in Washington, did you notice that uh, considerable differences in technique and approaches? And is that based on the, the source of the milk? Oh, yeah. Um, so actually, both of them were farmstead, which means that there are animals that they milk and take care of on each farm. And so they manage the land with them. Um, they're definitely the major difference is something that we were mentioning before, which is about the raw and the pasteurized. Um, that creates a whole nother type of uh, relationship with the milk that's not completely accepted here and we'll see if it will be <laughs> accepted but um, if you go to France essentially you, you're making cheese I remember one moment I was you know cleaning up in the cheese room in France uh, looked at the wall and it was covered with all these different molds and I thought okay I gotta go clean that that's something that nobody's like, looked at in yeah a while. <laughs> so I'm going to go clean this wall and the cheesemaker comes out and he's like no stop like what are you doing and basically he's like that is the way that we maintain the consistency in the cheese so if you clean that like we're yeah. screwed <laughs> and uh, you know coming from America you're like you see mold you're like oh, okay we gotta clean it so there's not really this whole microbiological understanding or, ex- or maybe just acceptance here yet, um, which is growing, but it, it's a because you can't scientifically prove all the components, it's very difficult to get certain um, uh, laws passed about that kind of production. So, and certain approaches are more, they're better on a f- small farm base rather than right. a commercial scale. Like a lot of these kind of raw practices wouldn't wouldn't work on a, on a huge large scale. commercial macro scale too yeah i mean that also is true and so a lot of the the rules that are in place now are for larger commercial operations so you don't have i mean of course like if you're milking you know ten thousand cows and making cheese it's a whole nother ball game than milking 90 goats and uh, right. producing and also if you've been cultivating this ambiance with this raw milk that has the natural flora in it then you are creating this environment that is conducive and healthy for the cheese but if you're just starting out you know there's definitely going to be a little gray area there um, with raw milk and then the pasteurized which is what I made in um, Washington State when I was working on the farmstead there it 
I mean, their cheeses are really great also. I loved all of them. But they also, because it is pasteurized and because of the rules here, sanitation is a, li- a little bit more intense. Like, you got to pour acid down things and pour also bleach and just make sure that, you know, everything. there's no trace of mold. They, I remember they had... Um, they like to have colorful walls at this place in Washington. Um, and the, the health department was looking at it and said, you know, well, you won't be able to see a fly on that wall because it's got, you know, this pink color to it. And, she, and you know, the owner's like, excuse me, I, if there's a fly in here, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> like, don't you worry. But um, so, so, yeah, I would say those are the main differences. It's just that whole idea of cleanliness is slightly different because you're not cultivating the same amount. Um and then also the fact that, you know, the flavor is a little bit more controlled in a different way because what you're doing is actually adding freeze-dried cultures to the milk to create the flavor profile. Of ye- usually bacteria, but maybe sometimes yeast as well. Yeah. So kind of like using dry yeast, yeast to, right. to, to beer. Yeah, yeah, definitely similar. And with um, the raw milk production, they would actually use the whey from the batch previous So they would hold on to a a certain amount of whey, and then they would just pour that into the raw milk that hadn't been heat treated at all, um, straight out of the udder. So, and that was enough to create the flavor profile that they wanted for all. Because it contained all the natural bacteria. Yeah, there's that it needed. And would that continue? They take the whey from that, and then the whey from that. that Yeah, they just rotate it, and they had all the molds um, in their caves because they just been attracted to the cheese over time and created you know a a strong hold on the actual space itself so but yeah that's part of the art if you're getting into the handcrafted varieties definitely is that cultivation and how you should approach it if you're working with uh raw milk or uh heat treated pasteurized milk Mm -hmm. awesome well, thank you so much for being on. I hope that, yeah, that I am definitely inspired to make some um, some fun, fresh cheeses over if I get a little bit of a holiday break. And I hope everybody out there who's listening is as well. So yeah. if what is the website? It's Cheese Grotto, uh, G-R-O-T-T-O dot com. Great. So, yeah. right Jessica Sennett, thank you so very, very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Cheers. Cheers. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.